I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today, we're going to spend the time inside the mind of an artist. My guest today is a filmmaker and a musician, Ben Joseph Stewart. Ben traveled as a child across the world in an army family, and then he began performing music at the age of 16. Before his touring rock group, Hyrusonic, before they disbanded, Ben had already launched his third full-length documentary with a global viral attention. So that's three documentaries and a rock band and virality across the world. Mainly, I believe it's because he chose topics that were on people's mind and he addressed them brutally, honestly. Most recently, he launched a 14-part series called Psychedelica, and soon after hosted a his own talk show, if you want, which was called Limitless on Gaia.com to talk about the same topic. After a 2020 release of The Magic Plant, a documentary that is regarding cannabis and health, Ben immediately released DMT Quest, which was about the brain's ability to produce DMT, a well-known drug on its own, and produce other hallucinogens in general. And then in late 2021, just very recently, he released another documentary on Aubrey Marcus's week-long darkness emergence. So basically documenting life in the darkness. Interesting for a visual artist that builds documentaries that was called Awake in the Darkness. My interest in Ben's work is not just in any one of his productions, but rather in the way he sees the world. And I have been introduced to Ben through my very dear friend, Josh Trent, which if you haven't heard our recording here on on slow-mo just around a month ago, you definitely have to listen to Josh. And I listened to Josh's conversation with Ben preparing for this. And I'm expecting that we will go in places that are completely all over the place. Most of Ben's work is around consciousness and experiences that you may not pay attention to, but I don't know where we will end. So sort of fasten your seatbelts because I think this will go in very, very interesting places through the mind of an artist. Ben Joseph Stewart. Thank you so much for your patience. I apologize for the tech glitches and I am, I've been so looking forward to this. Josh introduced us, Josh Trent, for those listening who, I mean, Josh is popular everywhere, but he was also extremely popular here in, uh, in slow-mo. We had an amazing conversation. And when you spoke, he emailed me the next day and he said, you have to meet Ben. So I met Ben on through your work and through some of your interviews. And I was like, yes, 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 I absolutely have to meet Ben. And it's quite because 
I have no idea where you end up, where you end up. It's like you seem to just constantly flow wherever your creativity is taking you. I don't know how you do it. Like, how do you choose what you're going to work on next from playing music to documentaries, to talking about psychedelics, to criticizing some of the, really the fundamentals of our world, to the news, to the, I mean, which I think is fascinating. This year for me was called the year of flow in which I was attempting to enable exactly that within myself. And I can say at the end of the year with a lot of conviction that next year will also be the year of flow because I failed miserably. So, <laughs> so I looked at your work and I said, okay, Ben is going to teach me. So, so let, let's begin. I've told people in the introduction about all of your work and what your, where you go with your awakening messages, if we can call them that, but how do you choose them? I mean, do you know what you're going to be working on next? Does that just pop up and how do you get there? Well, you use the word flow. Things really stay in the flow for me. And I, I can say that um, it's beautiful. I've learned some grace in it, but it's also kind of aggravating. And with, <laughs> okay, <laughs> in a family of five, like on an independent documentary maker's salary, I'm working on, basically, I'm not working on, I'm providing for three kids and my wife but it's always changing. So I have a wide variety of people who come to me wanting to make a documentary on various topics, but usually people only reach out to me to make documentaries on something that has to do with consciousness, looking at things in an alternative perspective, and really just um, looking within. And so I love getting surprised. Aubrey Marcus came to me earlier in the year and said that he had done seven days in darkness. And that's basically amazing. Did you see the film? I saw a bit of it, not all of it, but yes, it is an amazing concept. Yeah. And that was an interesting one because that was for one, I'm not always following a subject. So following Aubrey was really beautiful as well. But telling his story without going off in tangents on his story, really laying out the story as to why he would go into darkness, why he would do it for seven days and what he learned. And then how do you keep the audience in a dark room with him for 30 minutes of the film, which is <laughs> you know, a huge yeah. feat. So there was a lot of sound design, a lot of coverage, but that's just one example. Right before that, I did a film that's up on YouTube called DMT Quest, and it's yes. all about endogenous DMT and why it is that we produce such a psychedelic inside our own brain, why we're just finding out that it's being produced all the time in levels comparable to serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. So I like taking these concepts and finding what have people not done with these concepts yet? When Gaia asked me, could you do a show on psychedelics and shamanism? The very first thing I started thinking of as I developed the, the series Psychedelica was what are the topics that are not being talked about that are important within the psychedelic communities? And for the most part, that's things like sustainability, bad actors, meaning let's say shamans is the most common word, curanderos, vegetalistas. These are all individuals who facilitate medicine experiences. And some of them, some of them, you have to be very weary whether they're just putting feathers on and, and appropriating their own culture that they don't believe in, 
or sometimes trying to take advantage. Uh, and that's happened to people. So for me, how do I choose the things that happen? I barely choose any of them. They always usually find me. But when it comes to the news show, so I do Waking and yeah, News every that. Monday. Yeah. When it comes to that, it's kind of a conflicted thing inside my heart because I'm not a fan of the news. But that's not because I don't like learning about what's going on in the world. It's mainly because, and I think everyone, people who aren't even watching it can tell, it's so loaded with political narrative. And at any given time, there's more people on the right upset with the left or more people on the left upset with the right, but neither can see there's this thing, this study called spiral dynamics. And I forget what Claire Graves called it. Claire Graves was the predecessor to this idea, but it's basically think of this like spiral getting bigger and bigger, but it's also kind of a ladder going upwards. And every rung of the ladder is a step in the evolution of consciousness, but also for entire peoples. And I think it's like rung two on a seven rung ladder, which is where being stuck in not left right politics per se, but being stuck in the back and forth banter of politics is really low on the ladder, not seeing the higher unicity of it or also just some of the inner mechanisms of it can get quite annoying if you've grown past it and you still see people so invested in these stories. So for me, what I decided to do was how I choose what I'm going to talk about is I just, I read through everything on the left and everything on the right. And I find what's the biggest, most relevant story to people, regardless of some narrative. And how can I tell the story that's not being told? So I try and dig beneath the surface. Sometimes it's really hazard, like with Omicron right now, the new variant. I just started going back into the Greek alphabet and learning what's the magical significance of these words, because this was a language and an alphabet that was used at least back when it was originated that we know heavily in magic. And these symbols were imbued with meaning that were used in magic very heavily. So the fact that we're using these letters in the variants of virus going on, I just find interesting. So I try and find like, okay, everyone's hearing the polarized story. How can I add a piece of the puzzle that is not left, is not right, but just deepens your understanding. If I can get you out of there in 15 minutes, having learned something that you didn't expect to learn, then usually there's that's what people feel that they were given a gift that they didn't expect. They were given that. something yeah. that they didn't expect, which is almost like in product terms, that's called over-delivering. <laughs> so I try to do it like that, but also in a way that by the end, I'm also bringing it back to let's, let's not allow for things in the external world to overshadow the fact that we are human beings. We scarcely understand how incredible that is. Let's see what we can do to step deeper into our own understanding of what kind of agency do we have? What kind of capacity do we have to not always feel terror or fright or confusion about the external world, but really learning something new about yourself. And for the most part, that's ever-changing. I think I'm actually taking a new path starting maybe even this Monday. I have a lot of family stuff going on right now, and it's causing for me to see that, um, that there really is a beautiful gift with what's going on in the world right now, even though it looks a lot like crisis to those. And you can't separate out the fact that it is a crisis. 
And these are historically times where the most amount of inner and collective transformation seems to happen. So to me, I'm just trying to guide that in the most beneficial way for humanity as possible. So how do I pick the topics? They just kind of come to me. <laughs> so I want to actually talk about each of them because I think my listeners need to investigate and go and know better about each of them. Your work with Gaia and Psychedelica, the, the news show, the empty quest and the whole idea of darkness and so on. We'll touch on each of them separately. But I have to say, I did not know you until I was introduced to you by Josh. And I find very elegant way of addressing the topics that people don't want to talk about in a way that is supposed to upset them, honestly, because sometimes you take a very extreme view to the common view. And yet doing that so elegantly and respectfully, I don't know how you cut that balance. You seem to take a topic and say, hey, by the way, guys, you have no idea what the actual underlying truth in this is. So I'm going to tell you what the truth is, but you don't offend me when you're telling me I'm an idiot, which I think is really interesting. I feel like, okay, thanks for telling me what I was missing rather than hey, I don't like the way you're telling me. And, and there is an interesting balance there. What are you doing there? I mean, there seems to be an underlying respect while you're actually telling me, I don't know. Well, I think you nailed it right there, the underlying respect. So I'm so grateful for having the platform to do what I do. That's first and foremost. And from that gratitude emerges the way in which I wish to speak to anyone who wishes to listen. So I'm really not there. I can't say I'm not there to push boundaries. I can't say I'm not there to find sensitive topics and kind of poke and tease them apart. I'll put it in this way. When I was in my band back in my early 20s, I had um, my ears pierced. And one of them grew this little, it's called a keloid on the side of the, the piercing. And um, I asked, what can I do about that? And they said, well, it's going to sound pretty weird, but if something is not healing back correctly, you can always tug on it, create a little bit more damage, and that will re-prompt the healing response to happen again. And for me, I almost take that as a method, a way where most people, they think they're healing around a certain topic. And in a way, that's kind of me calling BS on the healing. Like, I know you think you're healing, but actually beneath what's being scabbed over, there's still some dirt and residue that needs to be cleaned out. And from that, yes, there's pain, but I believe pain is a natural part of life. It is a teacher. And suffering is more or less when we're wallowing in a certain pain and we don't understand how to get out of it. When there's a way out, but we haven't figured it yet. So the reason and the way that I speak about these very possibly triggering topics to people in a way that doesn't, you know, I really try not to speak to people as if they're idiots. I don't know something until I read it on the internet. How humbling. I don't know something about what's happening in the world until this little piece of technology tells me. And so I understand that there's algorithms that are showing me things, but not other people the very same things. It's very direct to certain consumers. What do you want to hear? Where's your echo chamber? We'll give that to you without you even asking for it or not. So for me, that's why I look at left. I look at the right. I look at the center. I look at the conspiracy theorists. I look at everyone's slant 
on that. And I take what I find to be the most intriguing to me, the most fascinating, and something that if somebody is ready and if somebody is open to hearing what a part of them did not want to hear, then what I do is I speak about that. And by the end, I say that, but this, the real point of all of this is so we can feel as if we're resonating with some kind of truth out there. And I, I also try to show that like, if I'm telling you something that like, that makes you light up on the inside, that it's only because I used my agency to choose to speak from that place within. And in that respect, I'm sure you've heard of channeling extraterrestrials or beings from another star system. I kind of feel like if I have the right orientation of where my heart is, then I'm channeling something from somewhere else. And it doesn't have to be somewhere else. It could just be from deeply within me, but I don't take ownership of it. My first few films that I put out back in 2008, 2009, I put them up online for free. And I said, anyone can alter these. You could do anything you want with these films. You can make DVDs out of them and sell them. I just want the word to get out because I didn't feel an ownership over the content that I was putting out. And I don't feel an ownership over the words that I'm saying. I feel that I'm only standing on top of the giants that I have learned from. And there are many people who speak in this way. Foster Gamble from the Thrive Films, when he was talking about in one of his films, very difficult topics to listen to, his wife coached him and said, listen, when you're talking about things that could potentially scare people, if you're not centered and if you don't feel the confidence in your own voice and in your own heart of the way through this, then the audience isn't going to feel comfortable or confident that there is a way through it because you are the person giving the message. So if you're giving a message of something that's kind of scary, then you have to be coming from, and it has to ring through everything, your voice, your face, all the words that you're using, the non-attacking way that you're speaking about very sensitive topics that you know there's a way through, you believe it, you feel it, you see it, you're actively in touch with that way through this. And so for me, I'll boil it down to this. I feel like what we are dealing with on planet earth right now is not something easily, you can't easily put language to it. We think it's COVID. We think it's what's happening to the middle class. We think it's an economic thing. We think it's a technocratic thing. We're worried about the technology. We're worried about the viruses, you know, but at the base of it, our trust is unraveling on a collective scale. We have trust that seems to be unraveling because much of this wouldn't be an issue. We wouldn't even be batting an eye at any of these narratives if our trust was not faltering. And so what we do in these times is it's very difficult for us to say, well, that must be me. So we usually in mass say, well, if we're losing trust, that must be out there. It must be. And I believe that both have validity. It is out there. But what's the prime mover of what we're losing faith in? Are we losing faith in the United States? Are we losing faith just in medicine or media or whatever it might be? Some people are gaining strength, but what's happening is people are polarizing, finding themselves inside comfortable tribes and factions with a certain narrative that does what? causes for a feeling of trust, at least in my bubble, and a feeling of camaraderie around me. 
And so what I'm starting to notice is that that's a natural process for us to, to find those who speak the same language. That's a natural process for us to do. But it also highlights that a lot of people aren't really even looking for truth because truth is so polarized and weaponized, like actually getting information that, that can open you up seems to be weaponized right now. So we're looking for safety and security. We're looking for that feeling of comfort and brotherhood, sisterhood, more than we are truth because truth seems a lonely path. And so I think that's what's actually happening here is there's a psychological component to what's happening on the planet. And it requires somebody and not just one person, but it, it requires people to speak to it from the heart as if I may be speaking a narrative that might seem counter to what you believe, but if you also check the way that I'm saying it, you would see that I do care. I'm not getting brownie points and I don't have sponsors and I'm not really making a big product or making some kind of big sale out of what it is I do. I'm in a, a humble little office right now where I put out several pieces of media every single week and I do all my documentaries here. It's for the love of the people who really wish to awaken. So for me, I think that it all comes down to the fact that I feel there is an awakening happening right now. And I think so many people, when they hear awakening, they think new age, they think of things that are so not tangible. They're not relatable to this brass tacks, very material world. And I see it exactly the opposite. I see the signs of it everywhere. We are awakening. And so many people think awakening is this pretty glorious process. And really it's not. Anyone who's done plant medicine, anyone who's gone through meditation or breath work, you get in touch with the things that you've been denying yourself. So that's just a way for the medicine or the breath to trigger something inside you, just like news could potentially do it. The only difference is most news, they're not trying to support you in an awakening. They're trying to deepen your loyalty to a specific tribe or a narrative. And that's what I'm looking to unwrap. So hold on, hold on. I think there are so many aspects to what you just said that are in a very interesting way, almost global and deeply entrenched in our modern society. And I will say openly harmful, right? The sentence that you say when you say people are not looking for the truth, this is so eye-opening, which is... On one side, even if you are looking for the truth, it's a very difficult journey because the truth is so nicely hidden and diluted and covered up with slogans and with celebrities and with opinions. And so that's one side. But the aspect that you bring, which is really eye-opening, is that we then find ourselves residing in comfort of like, hey, you know what? I don't really know if what I believe in is the truth, but it's so nice here. Others are telling me, yeah, of course it's the truth. They're tapping me on the back and saying, hey, it's good that you're one of us, right? I can trust those others and it feels cuddly over here. So I might as well not wake myself up. And the um, aspect of distrust is perhaps a little bit because we know deep inside that what we are internalizing is not entirely the truth. We just don't want to go out there and upset the rhythm and, and go and look for the reality. That This is a very alarming statement, as true as it is. Mm. I think it's also natural. We also expect that you can just wake up because of information. Many of us think that waking up is just 
one event. It's not. It's it's <laughs> a lifetime. It's an onion, a never unending onion that you can keep peeling back. So there is no end point. I forget who said it, but you're not expected in this lifetime to perfect the work, but it does not let you off the hook for aiming in that direction of perfection. And when it comes to truth, again, it's also very difficult. It could be looked at semantically. The way that I said it is we're not looking for truth, we're looking for comfort. But in some ways, we can't just stare at the abyss of all the things we've lied to ourselves about since day one, because we've also had help. It's not just us realizing that we haven't held the truth or that we've been hiding from the truth. It also goes to the root of all the relationships we've ever had and everything that held that as true for us. So our society holding certain things is true. We could even go to one of the biggest proved conspiracies out there is Santa Claus. And we still do it. We still teach our children about this mythical man on this epic night every single year. And for some reason, there's something in that. I'm sure you've seen V for Vendetta, where mm. V in there says, a good artist uses lies to tell the truth. Truth is hard to understand. And most people think it comes via data and knowledge. And I think this is also like knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing that you could put that fruit on a salad, right? Mm, 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 it's mm. this idea of like, you can be able to name and categorize something which the left and the right and the middle and the conspiracy theorists and the ones who are hiding their heads in the sands or the hipsters that are too cool to talk about any of it. <laughs> We all have categories that we can place things. All of us, we have categories. And those are slightly different than other people's categories. And in a sense, we also need to place things in categories. As much as we know deep down inside, one category or one blanket statement can't truly define a person or sometimes even a thing. Like it's easier with things because they don't change as often, but we can change our opinions as often as we change clothes if that is the way we choose. So I guess I'm just kind of like balancing what I said so it doesn't seem so, well, this is correct. We either seek truth or we seek comfort within a tribe. In a way, the two aren't mutually exclusive either. And that's why I also I have a soft spot in my heart for anyone that's on the path because I believe we're all on the path. There are just some of us that are like, you see most truth seekers, they have buggy eyes and they'll talk to you like this at a party when you're just trying to have a chill time. These are the ones that they can't stop racing down that path. And um, everything they want to talk about is about that and trying to be the first one to figure something out. And this is also the news thing, being first rather than being right rather than getting all your ducks in a row, being the first one to break the story, even if it's false, you still get the ratings from it because you know how to put the clickbait on the thumbnail. So these are all expressions. I guess if I try to put this in an analogous way, I don't even blame the news. I don't blame the president. I don't blame any of the financial elite. These are all aspects of a mirror to me and this is this may seem like a very new age or let's say hopeful way of looking at it but everything that i'm looking at in some way can be my teacher i can learn from it 
but is, am I open to learning from a fool? Am I open to learning from a politician? Am I open to learning from my six-year-old daughter? Because in that respect, that is the awakening of realizing that everything out here is a mirror and it's attempting to show me something. If it's triggering me, if it is causing me to look at something I didn't want to look at before, all of it is perfect. So I also see what's happening in the world today as being perfectly designed for us to just take the path and use and leverage what's happening, leverage the crisis to awaken ourselves. Because when there's very little crisis in the world, people aren't pushing themselves to change or to wake up or to open or to expand their consciousness. They're very happy in that monotony. That monotony serves them well. Yeah. I mean, we have lots of crises. The world is so confusing. It is if you're not a thinker, you notice it. If you're a thinker, you're obsessed by it. There is so much that is going astray, I think. I mean, you never really know where the road is going to lead, but definitely there are lots of crises that we have to look into and say, what is going on? It is a clear wake-up call. I think there is a reality in the fact that I agree and I disagree when people say we're awakening. I think those who are prone to awakening are literally taking the red pill and the red pill is just potent. But I also realize that most of us are still on the blue pill. So there is an interesting dilemma here. The ones that are awakening are fully awakening. There is something that deserves our attention here, but the majority isn't. The majority, I'm, and I don't know what your view is on this, but many of the people that talk about spirituality and consciousness will tell me, oh, no, 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 the world is awakening. And I, I don't know if it is. I think some of us are, but not everyone is. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that because looking at that statement deeper, again, we're using language to the best of our ability to place a word and meaning to something that's happening to people that, again, we are only seeing primarily through the internet, primarily through the internet. Now, we can see their social media pages and we can see that, yes, that must be them saying these words. And really also in a sense, like the internet is not an accurate portrayal of how people behave in any other place than seated in front of a computer with most of the time, nobody else around or in front of their phone where they're doing their, their own private thing. Is the world awakening? I feel, I still feel that it is. And I don't believe that that means 7 billion people are waking up the same way, nor do I believe that all 7 billion are. I think that most people are going on about their lives. Let, let's say you go down to some of those the Kogi in Colombia, they don't have technology and they're not looking at what's going on, but they feel it. And they've even mentioned, they sense it. They understand what's happening in the greater world, whether they're watching the news or not. There are those who they're like, whatever, I was going to follow along with what was going on anyway. So it's no problem to me. It's no different for me to just kind of follow along in this way. Crisis, okay, yeah, but I still have my job so there's a lot of people who, if you look at the brass tacks of the resources and the, the raw materials of their life, nothing has seemed to have changed. However, if you were to ask anybody 
is something happening on planet Earth right now that is bigger than <laughs> than what was happening prior to 2020. Across the board, those who don't even use technology to see what's going on in the world, they have a sense that something is happening. And that yeah. sense means that if you are connected at all to the idea that something huge on planet Earth is happening, then deep within you emerges a question. And I believe this is absolutely universal to all of us. If you feel that the totality of the world you know, it doesn't even matter what you believe, whether it's round, flat, holographic, it doesn't matter. If you believe the totality of the world and everyone that is connected through technology or just, you know, geography, if they all say, yes, something is happening on planet Earth, what does that mean? Is, is something changing? Well, it must be happening means that something that wasn't happening before is now happening Absolutely. across the board. So that brings up a question. What does that mean for my future? And everyone must be going through that. What must that mean for my future? Now, if you are in one of the countries where your job is threatened or has already been lost, or if you've lost a loved one, or if you are facing a decision, you have to say yes to this or face basically um, exiling yourself from this group or say no to this and exiling yourself from that group. To me, that is a choice point where all of us are together, regardless of how far along on this awakening path we think we're on. So while I agree, and I, I can say, I believe this will only take 10 years. I think that by 2030, yeah, we will have emerged out of this crisis period. And the same thing that happens after historically, I've looked into crisis periods. There's the fourth turning. There's other ideas of like stock market upsets that happen in regular cycles. Let's say the fourth turning every 80 to 90 years, there's some kind of crisis, but they don't just mark crises. The very next thing that happens out of that is an expansion, an explosion. And then after that, there's what they call an awakening. And then after that, an unraveling and then a crisis. And then the springtime, there's that rejoicing period again. I think this, what we're dealing with is only going to last 10 years while there's a restructuring. I won't get into the details of it because, I mean, we'd have to go pretty deeply into where is technology headed? Why did Facebook change their name to Meta? Where Why? are video games and VR going? I know. I totally am with you. Actually, let's go there. Okay. I mean, this is so interesting. Yeah, everything is going into the virtual world, isn't it? It is. And the virtual world itself is expanding to meet us. It's expanding rapidly to meet us. So Facebook made a lot of sense when the internet was people sitting down in front of these little squares, these little computers, and we're communicating via text primarily. So our posture and our relatability to the technology, to the machine, and this is how I call it, the greater thing, the internet of things, the internet of everything is the machine. I call it one thing. It can be disembodied. It can communicate with the cloud. Facebook was a great name when it was just us seated or on our phone through these little boxes communicating to one another, images, text, you name it. The very next thing that's coming, and I believe we will absolutely see it because we're already seeing it. There's this commercial where Mark Zuckerberg was talking about meta and the metaverse. And it was him 
in real life and then he turned into an avatar and he's inside this 3D virtual world. Well, if people haven't heard of the spatial web or internet 2.0, what that basically is, is where the internet is going is off the screen and into your reality. Now, it may not literally be up and around you. You have to have some kind of headset on or something that helps immerse you in that experience. But then I could also say on the converse side, it actually is all around us. It's just invisible. We know that you can move your phone over here, over here, over here, and you're still receiving signal. It's all around us. So getting into the world of where is it all headed? Why is it metaverse? Is because a lot more of what we used to do, and you and I are in a generation that's of the last that will remember a time before the internet before this takeover of everything is digital. I still love reading books. And it's this thing that uh, it's not just a memory of the past, but it's there's something in reading books that I feel is a lot more solid than getting your information from the internet, primarily because you'll see Merriam-Webster dictionary changing definitions within the past two years like gangbusters in a very specific lane as well. So now let's talk haptic suits. You know what haptics are. Yeah, yeah. So for the audience, haptics, like your phone, when it vibrates, that's a haptic device. It's there. It doesn't just it need to use... feeling, yeah. You sense it, yeah. It's, it's part of that sensory experience. So you can see it lighting up, you can hear it, but then you can also feel it. Well, imagine putting on a suit. And people have been doing this for quite some time. Drummers in big rock bands, they have seats now that vibrate. So instead of needing to hear your drums through an in-ear monitor, you can actually feel the bass and it actually communicates better to the drummers because it's allowing for you to immerse yourself with more of yourself, more of your senses. So the internet and the machine is meeting us around all of our senses. So I believe in this 10-year period up until 2030 is the real restructuring of where technology, government, law, commerce, and everything is going. I believe it's connected with something, and I, I'm not going to go hog wild, and I'm not saying that there's some ultimate conspiracy against us. What I will say is that the UN and several other groups have been really pushing this thing called Agenda 21. How do we get our sustainable development? How do we get the planet to thrive again? Because we've done a terrible job. All the logging, all the, the loss of biodiversity and habitat for wildlife, the extinct species, the oceans, the air, you name it. How do we turn that back around? One of the proposals is to, in a sense, quarantine people for possibly several generations or more in smaller sects of the country to allow nature to bounce back. And that doesn't mean it is 100% off limits, but you need special clearances to go to certain places. And I've already started seeing some of the ways that we're going to say, go to Yellowstone. 
But why would you go where all the, the bacteria and the dirt, where you have to drive there and where the animal could actually possibly hurt you or something like that? Why can't you just put on these goggles, put on this haptic suit and you can walk around through your room and you can experience Yellowstone. You can be standing right next to Old Faithful. So I've, I've already seen some of these kind of prototypes, pilot episodes for commercials. The other thing is go to the store. You go to the store and I've even seen images. Allison McDowell is showing images where there are children stocking shelves like they work at a store and they're controlling a robot that's stocking a shelf full of sodas and you name it. And um, that way other people can go in and buy sodas off the shelf because you stocked it, but it was your robot. You did it remotely. Like there's already in China, there's already surgeries that have been done remotely. And that's one reason why they're saying we absolutely need 5G because you don't want a dropped call in the middle of a surgery, <laughs> yeah. you know? So all of this makes absolute sense, but we know that we're skyrocketing in this direction. So without taking up too much more time, what I will say is in order for us to move to this level where we are inside the metaverse, and I think that Facebook and now Meta is going to expand to be a lot more than what Facebook was. That's why they had to change their name. It's going to be a meeting place. It's going to be meeting places where you can literally engage in several different activities. Are you over the age of 18? Sorry, you can't come in because there's going to be things that only we only allow for people over the age of 18 into this room. And it's a virtual world that are a room that is locked by some kind of a code and it's attached to your identity. So if the world is going to speed into this direction, the last thing that I'll say is no matter what changes we wish to have in this world, there is a cost. And the cost to this, the most fundamental one is that we need the infrastructure to support this. So we're saturating the invisible rainbow. We're saturating all these frequency spectrums. And this has been happening for a long, long time. There's a book called The Master Switch by Tim Wu that talks about freedom of speech, censorship, and the history of radio and how it got to where we are today and the suppression of technologies. Honestly, we could have been where we're at right now 50 years ago. If you read that book, we could have been where we are right now with technology 50 years ago. And it's hard to say whether it would have been a better way to get there or not. So I think what we're dealing with now is in the next 10 years, we're going to see that even if you walk out into nature, it is going to be embedded with the infrastructure that has to support the digital world that we're going to be existing in quite a bit more. So here's just a couple things before I end that I want people to, to watch out for. The legal definition of privacy and what digital privacy actually means and how that might change due to narratives that tell us, well, we, we need to live in a world without fear. So we need more transparency. We need to know what more people are doing. It needs to be potentially open sourced on the blockchain. You can't change it, not centralized, but decentralized. So it is verified by every single hub and privacy, not all of it, but some of it may become a thing of the past due to the same kind of narrative for national security. We need to know what more people are up to. So, but guess what? Inside every single house, there's roaming Absolutely. microphones and there's roaming cameras everywhere. There's Alexas and there's Siri and there's smart devices everywhere. This is just the world that we're living in. 
And so what I would say is the, the primary thing people need to do is start seeing the brass tacks of what is changing to privacy, to even our body, because all the EMFs might be opening voltage-gated calcium channels inside the body. And if you don't have enough magnesium, that'll happen chronically and can turn into a laundry list of health issues. There's many things we need to take a look at. The last thing I'll say is think of the Cambrian era, the <laughs> explosion of life that came through the Cambrian era. It's hard to say whether this is unnatural or natural. It's just unrecognizable according to our rearview mirrors. Marshall McLuhan said, we, we drive into the future using our rearview mirrors. And this is true. So if we're going to try and say what's happening now is normal or abnormal, we only have the past to reference that by. I think we're in for it. I think we're in for uh, an interesting 10 years. And I would love to know if I touched upon where you wanted me to go with that meta thing or not. I definitely is an area that most are not talking about. So my second book, Scary Smart, was talking about artificial intelligence in the future and where we're going with all of this. And it's definitely a no-brainer that I and you and everyone are heading into an era where it is very, very, very unfamiliar. And I have to say openly and honestly, definitely one of the easiest ways for us to sort of reduce our footprint on the planet is to stop moving, right? Simply stay in a small bedroom with a treadmill and do your work and imagine that you're walking down the Amazon forest and with haptics and with a little bit of brain implants and so on. You may actually, we may feed you just a few drops of, uh, of protein gel somewhere and make you think that this is a stake. It's, you know, everything's possible with technology when you really think about it. The question is really, is that awakening or is this hallucination? Or are we actually dreaming? Because in an interesting way, you could probably do that for you and me and everyone that can afford a $400 virtual reality headset. But how do you do that for everyone in the world? And what about those of us who actually love the idea of getting their feet hurt when they are hiking? Can we start to think that life as it is, is really not that bad. And that perhaps the only thing we should do is instead of wanting more to fix all of the stuff that we've done so far, maybe what we should want is less. Maybe we should just go out in nature and farm again, or collect a few apples from a few trees again, and everything was working out fine then. And it's really quite interesting when you think about it, it goes back to the whole idea of awakening, because I actually think the only answer to all of this is to awaken. And like you rightly said, it's actually a very interesting thing that we are getting those interesting challenges in our lives that shake the very foundation of what we know about life, because maybe it's about time to wake up and say, Hey, hold on, hold on. I actually don't need an iPhone 14, right? I, I actually need something very different than what they've been telling me. No, hold on, hold on. I don't want the comfort of belonging to a tribe. I actually want an opinion, right? And we get so many signals that are saying it is about time to challenge a few things, to challenge our very way of living because the trajectory in which our way of living is going is just maybe not where we should be. Yeah. So I kind of feel that um, there is a conspirator Interesting. and there is a conspirator. So Charles Eisenstein, I really like him. And 
in his book, Sacred Economics. The only thing I disagree with here is, again, this could be semantics, but he says, listen, I've read David Dyke. I've read, I've listened to Alex Jones. I've listened to all the conspiracy theorists out there. And I do believe that conspiracy is, you can't take it away. It's always happening. In a sense, if you really look at conspiracy, business is conspiracy. Absolutely. You know, conspiracy says nothing to the intent, whether it's malicious or benign. Conspiracy is just people conspiring in secret. Well, that's all business. So to me, but, you know, Charles says there is a conspiracy. There's always a conspiracy. But once you try and get down and point out who it is, you always get to the point where other people are like, I think you've misunderstood and you're looking for a singular boogeyman to blame all this stuff on. And I believe that's absolutely true. We do that. We do look for some external thing that we can blame for the way things are changing in a direction that we don't like or that potentially scares us. But I think there is a conspirator. And I try not to use religious or spiritual terms too much, but in a sense, if there is this higher intelligence, which I can say that I've, I've at least connected with my own higher intelligence, how far that goes is just words coming out of me. But I think the conspirator is that thing that we're all confused about whether it actually exists. Is there something higher and more intelligent? And that's why I'm not worried about what's happening on the planet. And to kind of like piggyback off of what you were saying a little earlier is I don't think people are going to choose to stop moving because we're used to our affluence. We remember a time when we could get up and get in a plane and go anywhere we want. We want to go to the Alps, we can. Doesn't matter, right? Let the world take care of whatever pollution comes out. I want to see the Alps. And you make a very good point because like if we were to truly let the world bounce back and all it needs is a break. It just needs some time to recuperate. What you're going to naturally butt up against is several fold. You're going to get the people who are like, I absolutely agree. I'm in. I'm game. I'm going to follow suit with this packing people into smart cities, not going out into nature, not touching wildlife because that's where a lot of disease can come from and just let it balance itself. You have a lot of people that'll say that. Other people... And this, again, I'm, I'm only touching a few, let's say, demographics, but other people are going to be like, wait a minute, I wasn't the one who polluted the Gulf. That was BP. And I wasn't the one who was doing all that logging down in the Amazon. These are major industries. I had nothing to do with it. And now the rich fat cats, and this is obviously, it's meant to sound the way it sounds. It's very easy just to find some enemies. The rich fat cats that have destroyed nature are now telling us where we're going to have to live out the rest of our lives that we need to pay for what these other people have done. We've just been following the economic guidebook, right? Get a house, do our thing. And so we, that demographic misses the fact that yes, but like, I think in magical terms, we are magicians. We create our own reality and we also co-create our reality. We collectively create our reality. And the way you the way you behave in your internal world has its way of rippling out into the external world. So I think both are correct. I didn't log the Amazon. I didn't dump hundreds of thousands, if not millions of gallons of oil into the Gulf. I didn't do any of these things. Why do I have to pay for those mistakes? And in that lies the quandary. It's because we are humanity and we all must. And here's where it comes with that trust thing again. Wait a minute. Are the real culprits, the ones who made all the money off of destroying the habitat, 
Are they going to be sequestered to a tiny little home inside of a smart city being traced and tracked where all their data is being fed through a one-way mirror to people that they don't know? So that's kind of where a lot of people are hesitant on change. And this is where I believe the awakening, the awakening will only happen voluntarily if the story is right. If the elements and the ingredients of the story, why are we going to make this change? So at, at the very, very end of it, we need to agree in some small or large part within us. And this is what's going to unite conspiracy theorists, the left and the right, everybody into realizing we are one human family on a spaceship that um, is, let's say, proverbially running out of gas or maybe being eaten up by the environment. How are we going to heal that bond? And it's not going to be by anything rational. I firmly believe that we're trying to over-rationalize. And in that, we're getting into the granular bits of wait, me and my own. And we're, we're not seeing that if all your cells go rogue inside your body and want to do their own thing, that may not prove well for the higher epiphenomena that is the human. So I don't know that there's really an answer there that I have other than community. And the making, this is why I do art and this is why I do films, making it sexy and engaging for us to do our own inner work. Not just this, yeah, live the life you want to live, go out and like live fast because you're going to die young, those types of ideas. Take everything the world has, live it as a gift because you're going to die one day. That's this consumption mentality. That's the old story that I think we're moving away from. So what I'm looking for, what I'm actively looking for out in the world is who's telling the story of unification? Who's telling that story? Who's bringing that new narrative that shows no matter what, even if there are conspirators out there, even if there are bad actors and bad apples, that doesn't let you off the hook for doing your part in what's truly okay. right. And I'll just, I'll just bring it back to the Titanic, the musicians, the band that played while the Titanic sank. They knew they were going to their fate. They didn't have to play. They could have ran around screaming, but what did they choose? They chose the agency of doing what they knew they could do best. And they're like, if we're going to go, we're going to go gracefully and we're going to bring some beauty into the world right before it all goes underwater. To me, you listen to people like Jamie Wheel from the Flow Genome Project. He's not confident or hopeful at all that things are going to get better anytime soon at all. That for the next seven generations, it may actually be terrible. He's not very confident or hopeful at all. For me, I believe that once we're in touch with the real gift of life, what the real gift of life is, not all the things we get to do and all, all the nice um, accommodations of this world, the things that we think we're owed. I think once we're in touch with the real gift of life, it's sobering, it's humbling, it's not as glamorous as you may have thought, according to the old terms, but it is your work to do. That is where I think that we are right now because I don't know what the solution is and I don't know what's going to get people to agree, okay, 
We need to stop chopping down the trees. We need to stop extracting natural resources from the earth, the fracking, all these things that's unintended consequences that are bleeding the world over. Why? Because we need economic growth that never ends with no endpoint, no nap ever, right? I think that's what we're facing. And I do believe that it has to do with what is the myth that drives us? Even individually, when we don't think we're driven by a myth, we are. So what is the myth that is going to lead us to the actual gift of life, not the rewards that we're looking for? Yeah. So I hope that made sense because I know I tangented a bit. So it reminds me of something my son had taught me. My son used to be, he's always a very, always been a very wise young man. And one day he walks into my living room and goes like, Papa, I was chief business officer of Google X at the time. So completely submerged in the movement of let's build more and innovate and create tech and so on. And he walks to me and he says, Papa, there is something I need to tell you, but it may upset you. And I was like, go ahead, go ahead. And he goes like, Papa, you're never going to fix the world. And I said, why Ali, why are you saying this? I mean, why don't you have the spark? And if you don't dream that you can fix the world, you're never going to fix it. And he said, just listen to me. You're never going to fix the world. You can only fix your little world. And if you can fix your little world, the world around you will change and your world will become bigger. And it's so interesting. I definitely, like you, think a lot about what's going wrong with the world. And of course, there's a bit too much technology. There's a bit too much artificial intelligence. You know, introducing me to meta and living in a virtual world, uh, that seems really a little odd for me. All of the conversations around viruses and vaccines and what's happening and so on, you really don't know exactly what's the truth. And end of the day, I found that my answer has been very simple. The less I include in my life, the more I enjoy my life. My simple $4 t-shirts, I walk a lot more than I drive and or even take a ride in, of any sort now. And the more I get in touch with those little things, the more I realize I don't need an iPhone 14. As a matter of fact, my Galaxy Note is like probably seven years old now. I don't need a fancy car because I can walk to where I want to be. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need. And I think that change within me is doing two things. One is clearly, clearly I'm not going to be on meta for sure. I know that for certain, which is a very interesting thing because they can build whatever they want to build. If I choose not to be on it, I still am the human that I am. Right. And at the same time, it also reminds me, so while I'm having less in life and so less impact on the planet, and at the same time, I'm realizing how little I actually need and how much joy is available in those moments of silence where I can walk and contemplate and perhaps reduce Spotify from the, I don't know how many millions of songs that are available to just the 50 songs that I really like. I'm so engaged in building a, a playlist that's called my favorite 50 songs of all time. Such an intricate process, because if you want to put one in the 50, there are like a million songs that I must have heard in my life. You know, what makes you keep one of them in there? It's the idea that 50 songs are enough. That 50 beautiful songs are all that you need to actually engage with music for the rest of your life. And yeah, if a 51st comes in, perfect, but let's feel that we're okay with 50. I think the game of 
of life as we're playing it. And probably what happened during COVID is a clear reminder that you actually don't need to commute every day to work. A clear reminder that you actually don't need to go to the bar or the pub every evening to have fun. That when life is simpler, you can find a way to enjoy it. I think this is where where we should all awaken. We should just realize, like you said at a point in time, the idea that most of what's presented to us is not the truth. And it's not even the truth of what we need. And so why do we chase it? I don't understand. It, it is, I think um, it's a hangover from the old world. Why, <laughs> hangover, why yeah. we chase, yeah, yeah. Why, why we chase information that actually um, doesn't impact our world until we allow it to, yeah. and we allow it into our mental field. It's, it's gotta be this hangover from the, from the old world. And I, I've also said it um, historically. And um, it, here's one thing that I love about times like this. It really does cause me to, without having to point out who lied to me, I get to just break down my belief in anything and everything. Because here's what I say, like, uh, I, I heard this in a comparative mythology and uh, comparative religion uh, course that I took. It said, kill all of your gods, all of them, because the only one that's still left standing that you can't kill is is the only one that's going to bring any truth for you. That's such an interesting concept. And and so, like, remove like the the term God for if if you look at the way evolutionarily, and I've even looked at evolution, like how much do I believe it? Like, okay, I don't have enough information to destroy it, and it's not my it's not my task to to go into it. I I believe in adaptation. Um, could humans have existed at, you know? You have to listen to my conversation with uh, Stephen Meyer here on Slow Mo a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Uh, he, he, he wrote a book called Darwin's Doubt. Ah, I, I, I knew Darwin doubted his own. Yeah, mind blowing. Yeah. You know, once again, I mean, I heard you once speak about the scientific method and, and the reality of, you know, perhaps we should be a little more humble because we don't really know the truth. And, and his conversation was just mind blowing, really. Yeah. So if you think about it, if history is told to us correctly, you go back 200,000 years, we're just shy of that. What were we doing for generations after generation after generation after generation after generation, walking through the woods, setting up temporary encampments, looking through nature to see where the threat might be? And primarily, it's everyone, but it's mainly the males who would like look through the woods, the trees, listen out very sharply because you need to know if a threat's coming. If there's a predator out there, you need to know as quickly as possible. Now we live in a world where we don't have those predators hunting us at every corner and the predators have actually changed. And I do believe there are still yeah. predators out there, obviously of all kinds. You can see them in dark alleys and urban areas, or you can see them, the banality of evil in high-rise buildings and stuff like that. And I think evil is, is also, it's just a word we throw on things that we, we find threat from. So anyway, historically, we're looking out into nature for the threat. So what do we do now when the threat has changed? We're not looking, no one's looking out their back door into the woods behind their house saying like, what, is there an animal coming to get my family? I need to be prepared. No, we're watching the news. So we're seeing what's happening in the world because it is that thing that satisfies an archaic 
mechanism or infrastructure within us, which is I need to be sure that I've looked out into nature to see where the threats are. I need to be sure. And so now we're living in a world where that's also a hangover. It's an aspect of us that we have that comes more from the old world. And now it's just updating. It's not that there's no threats. It's just it's updating what it is that we wish to look at to say whether we feel safe or not. So for me, that's why I I love technology. I absolutely love technology. I see that it's the evolved Promethean fire. It's gotten to the point where we now have a lot more agency. If I want to know something intellectually, or if I want to see what others have said about this topic, I just type it into Google and I get a bunch of other people's curated content on what they think about that topic. So that's really interesting. And I absolutely love that. I love what technology has allowed me to do with music and getting it out to the world, films and getting it out to the world. So I really do believe that while technology and all the complexity that comes along with it is part and parcel the problem, it is also part and parcel to the solution. And for me, it's not the entire solution, but the biggest way that I use technology is for me to be able to be in your living room or in your bedroom at the same time as 100,000, maybe hopefully millions of other people are listening to the same message because there is a way for me to transmit, if I could use the word soul, what I believe I was put on planet Earth to do. And I do believe there is something I was gifted with that others aren't specifically gifted with in that way. And therefore, it is my job to bring my gifts to the world. The best way to do that is with technology. So there's a paradox that we're working off of here. And that is the things that scare us the most and the problems out there, the enemy, however we want to term it, is something that needs to be engaged with, not shied away from. And I think this is the internal mechanism that we are hopefully rewiring right now, which is where we're not living. I mean, this might be World War III, all the misinformation, disinformation out there. So people don't always, if you've heard of third, fourth, and fifth generational warfare, it's when you're talking about informational warfare, it doesn't have to be bombs dropping. It doesn't have to be entire communities being raised and leveled. It could be the restructuring of what we held onto as collectively true. I think that's what's happening in this decade. That's why the internet is the most dangerous and most glorious invention, because it is like a hyper highway of most of the problems out there. However, it is also impregnating within it, just like one plus one equals two, in that the problem itself has inherent within it its own solution, its own like unified. Like over on this side of the equal sign, it's when they're apart and they're polar. And over here, it's when they're united. I really feel like what's happening here the problem. It's hard to pin it down on any one individual thing. And I believe that we're desperately trying to make it someone's fault or something's fault because that's where we've historically had most of our comfort come from, knowing that like, well, if you've ever heard of where the term scape comes from, literally communities would take a goat or some kind of animal and they would slaughter it. 
and they would sacrifice it. And this would appease something inside the community. You blow that up to civilizations, then you have bread and circuses. It, there's this thing where we need to, and movies and films and things along those lines, where we need to allow some kind of outlet for the feelings of I'm not safe, but I don't even understand what safe feels like or where I could get it from. So we have these, these very rudimentary ideas of how we can make things better, but most of us, we're not really in touch with how to make things better. And I believe it really does start with community. And maybe getting okay. back to that thing you said, the simplicity of things. Back in 2010, it was right after the housing bubble. People were asking a lot of people in the stock market, like, how did you call what was going to happen? And they said, well, if you think we called that, something's going to happen in 2020 that's going to dwarf what's happening right now. And everyone in the stock market, you know, is like, what do we do? How do we protect ourselves? Do we get into money? Do we diversify our money? Do we get into assets? Do we need gold? How do we protect ourselves? And um, by and large, all of them said community. Because throughout time, the mirror of community, other people telling us, uh, you seem like you're getting too messianic over there, or you seem like you're getting too just, you're wallowing in your own self-doubt. Community helps point to our potential and tell us, reveal to us whether we are actually standing in our potential or if we're denying our own potential. Community does that better than anything. Other people can call us on our own crap a lot easier than some device or at least at present. So that's where I think the biggest solution is going to be. And it's not that we can't have community through technology, but that is one thing that I feel if anyone listening can connect themselves with people communicating face-to-face, eye-to-eye with people who love you and who want to see you in your potential, striving for your potential. And this is why it's painful to see people with drug addictions or people who are really just throwing away their gifts. And you hear these things in movies all the time. It's like, honey, you have so much potential. Why are you throwing it all away? It's because we want to see others be an exemplar of their own higher potential. I think technology can help us, but it's community that nature evolution has gifted us with. Community has always meant the difference between life or death, hundreds of thousands of years ago, all the way to today. And that's the one thing that I would say, a lot of people say it's under attack. Community is under attack social distancing, quarantining, stay away from people, even though there's a lot of studies that are saying that face-to-face communication and community alleviates depression is really good for you in many ways. It's understandable with the right story, which is around right now. But a lot of people think that it's communities under attack. I don't. I think our concept of what community means and how we can connect with one another is changing. There are elements that will never go away face-to-face contact, actual hugs, skin-to-skin contact. There's something that I don't see any technology anytime soon ever replacing that. But we have to use what we can. So I say that the solution is present. The solution to everything we are dealing with is present in the here and now. What's required of us is for us to engage with it as if it is the teacher. It is here 
to teach us. So everything about our lives is here to teach us how to engage with the solution that is present. But the solution is encrypted like that one plus one equals two. That's super simple. Give me a really, really complex math problem. That seems to be more reality today. <laughs> but the solution is encrypted inside the problem. They're yeah. inseparable from one another. I think there's hope. Oh, definitely. I do think there is hope. I, I would, however, I mean, in closing, say it is definitely a time of awakening. And here in slow-mo, I, I invite people to reflect. And I think our conversation today, even though I wanted us to go into your specific work, lots of your specific work is interesting and relevant. As a matter of fact, I would just go back to that, the title of your work on Awake in the Darkness. I think that's so inspiring. I think the times we live in are times where you need to be awake in the darkness because so much is hidden. It's almost as if you lost your sense of vision. You're unable to see the whole truth because the truth is very complex. You're unable to see into the future because the future is so unpredictable. And yet you need to stay awake. You need to wake up. And I think this is an invitation we gave our listeners a lot to think about today. So this is my invitation for everyone to start considering and asking, what should you accept? What should you not accept? How can you go back to the basics? What I said is find a simpler life or, you know, what Ben was saying is go back to community. The trick here is how can we make life what we want it to be? not what we're told it should be. And I think this only happens when you pull yourself out of the comfort zone of just accepting what you're being told and really going into what do I want to search for? What do I want to know? How do I continue on that, as you called it, endless onion? How can I continue to peel? How can I continue to awake? I think is probably our call to action from today's conversation. Ben, this has been, uh, whoa, <laughs> what a conversation. <laughs> we went into so many places. I, I understand now how you will come up with your next work. It is something that will inspire and will require analysis and, and deep reflection. Very, very grateful for what you have given us today. I, I ask everyone to actually go and see some of Ben's work, Limitless on Gaia or DMT Quest or Awake in the Darkness. Beautiful, beautiful works. And I think you, uh, Ben, you've enlightened us today to think about quite a few things. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you for being here. And for all of those of you listening, well, maybe not the slowest conversation on slow-mo, but definitely one that is brave enough to hopefully not make you afraid or worried, but to ask you to consider what it is that we need to start looking into in a world where everything is becoming possible. What is it that you actually want from this world? As always, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity that you give me to meet incredibly interesting people and discuss amazingly interesting conversations. It's all because of you that I get this joy. I hope you enjoy it too. And perhaps after our conversation today, I may have given you another reason, despite how busy you are today, to find a few moments to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.